This message is from Icon, from Community, Icon Church. Community Church. Icon is a church located in Metro located Atlanta. Located in Metro Atlanta. Atlanta. Defined by grace, grace, grace community, community, and, and renewal. renewal. Community and renewal. For more information, please visit our website at iconcommunitychurch.org. At iconcommunitychurch.org. Or follow us on Facebook. Instagram. A Twitter. Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. One of my earliest childhood memories involves me being punished. I have this memory of this moment of time. I was probably about four or five years old in the living room in our Minnesota farmhouse. And my mom was there and my great aunt Sis was there. And I said something and I wish I could remember what it was, but I said something. And the result was, I remember seeing my aunt Sis just shake her head disapprovingly and my mom flying up out of her seat and my feet barely touching the ground as we make our way through the living room, down the hallway, into the bathroom, where I got a stern talking to and also my mouth promptly washed out with soap. My mother, just a disclaimer for her, is the sweetest person on the planet, and honestly, she probably used barely any soap. And this was a common way of kind of dealing with that at that time. But... It was effective for me. It impressed upon me in that moment that certain things were not supposed to come out of my mouth. It impressed upon me that some words were not clean and my mouth was meant for cleanliness in speech. It was very effective in giving me an understanding in that quick moment that my words had impact on others. Effective enough that I never needed that exact punishment again. And at this point in James, he visits this exact issue, which is a revisiting for him of a place he touched on briefly in chapter one. But here he spends more time talking about the weight of our words. So in another passage from James, I actually feel like a lot of James's kind of this vibe of him being a little exasperated with his community and just urging them strongly, let's get it together with how we're treating one another. Let's read what he says to us in James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, also able to control the whole body. Now, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies. And consider ships. Though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too, Though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Every kind of animal bird, reptile, and fish, is tamed and has been tamed by humankind, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. 
my brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So he starts this part of the passage. Not many should become teachers because you know we will receive a stricter judgment. Now, while we could really spend an entire sermon just on this one verse, we're just going to talk about it briefly in context of the whole of this passage. This part about being a teacher may actually seem a little bit detached from the rest of this portion about the tongue, but it's not. In the church, the teaching was done by many different people taking turns. If you were a more mature believer in the community, that was just part of your responsibility. And James cautions those people and us in that position. If this is you, take care. This is a warning. You can't abuse the power that that gives you because the judgment for what you do in that position is greater. The standards for how you conduct yourself and what you say are higher. And because the tongue is so hard to control, if one is able to control their words, it is likely that they will have better self-control over other areas. This is a vital part of good leadership. Jesus's brother finds it necessary to drop in this warning, which means something was happening in the church where he needed to caution those teaching, conduct yourselves rightly here because God is watching and your responsibility is very heavy. So people using Christianity, the church, the community for a power that they might use to abuse or um, manipulate others, this isn't a new thing. This is a problem in the community of believers as old as the generation of Jesus. Things are not worse now with how this exists in the church. Our experiences of dealing with the long-term effects of teachers misusing God's word and using that to justify their abuse of others is something that we share with the saints across time. And I don't bring this point up of this is an age-old problem in order to diminish it, but actually to draw attention to the fact that this has always been an area that requires as a community that we be vigilant, that we pay attention, and that we focus. We are always to be ready to root out that corruption and to not throw in the towel when we find out that that corruption exists. We can't be surprised. We can't be shocked that this happens. And if we are, we haven't been reading the New Testament well. Most of the New Testament is written in a response to things going wrong in the community of believers. So take heart. Jesus's brother gets this problem right along with us. And it's a warning we should take to heart. Part of being a teacher we see here requires that you have to use one of the most dangerous parts of your body. And you have to be able to govern that well. In his warning being positioned here toward teachers, it's not just about what comes after in terms of taming the tongue, but what is also important of what we just read, 
what Pastor Daryl preached on last week, this whole issue of faith and works. So thinking about where this is positioned, faith and works, warning to teachers, taming the tongue, James is also conveying what I just said about how grace saves you at the end of the day and not works, but your works are important. You cannot use grace as a license to not care about your works when it comes to your position. You don't get a free pass. God sees it all. And there's a lot of weight there. So James is sort of just bringing down the hammer right away as he begins this portion about the tongue and the weight that it carries. In verses three through five, we see him utilize these three different images to start giving us this sense of how the tongue, while being small, has far-reaching effects. We have the bit, we have the rudder, and we have a small fire. When I was a kid and we lived on our farm in central Minnesota, we had horses and I had a Shetland pony named Charlie. And I was allowed to ride around on my own, completely on my own, as long as I told my parents what I was doing. I hated taking the time to saddle up, so I would usually just get him out. I'd slip on the bridle, put in the bit, and shimmy up bareback. I was thinking about this this week, about how my parents, when I was a little kid, would let me zip around, ride out in the field, completely on my own. I was small, and this pony was probably about 500 pounds. And while I'm sure it helped them that our dog was always trailing behind me, and in my mom's words, Charlie was just a big babysitter, at the end of the day, the reason that they had confidence was because while he had at least 450 pounds on me, I had control of the bit. That little bar in the back of his mouth gave me full control even though I was so outsized by him. That bit told him where I wanted him to turn, how much and how fast, when and how much to slow down, when to stop. Such a small thing gave me complete mastery over the whole of him. Likewise, we have the rudder, this oar, this tiny little piece of wood controlled by the handle in comparison with the size of the ship that directs it. And this phrase here, wherever the will of the pilot directs, is supposed to make us think wherever the pilot has an impulse to go. This tiny thing, the impulse of it, directing something as large as a ship. Likewise, he says, a small fire can take down a whole forest. And we well know and understand the devastation that this causes if we watch the news at all. Last year in the U.S. alone, 10.1 million acres burned, and 90% of those fires were started by small human means, such as a cigarette or a small campfire or a spark from machinery. Something so small, thought to be in control, with a moment of negligence causing widespread devastation. And verse six says, the tongue and the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. This phrase here, world of unrighteousness, isn't this light phrase of sort of, oh, you're going to be in a world of hurt. 
But world here is the, the word cosmos. And so it's this idea of um, the order of the universe. And unrighteousness here is often just translated as straight up sin. So basically what he's conveying in this world of unrighteousness phrase is that the tongue, where our words come from, is an entire system of sin, a world order of sin. Our speech can bring about what is destructive to the entire order of the world. He says it stains the body, meaning our careless and uncontrolled speech, it makes us unclean before God. It is key here for us to note that he is also saying that your speech, it affects you, not just those you are speaking to. So the words that you speak that are untrue or degrading or judgmental to or about anyone, even if it's about people that you will never meet in your entire life, You speaking those words damages you. Every word you utter that is not in line with the heart of God is a form of self-harm. He says it sets the course of life on fire. This phrase, the course of life, is also a callback to the beginning. Adam and Eve were appealed to by shifty words that twisted what God said. And that issue with words in the beginning changed the course of life and ushered in sin, which we're affected to in our day by day. And is itself set on fire by hell is just this phrase to make us think it's evil. It's completely in opposition to God. So what is interesting in this particular verse, in the flow, in the tenses of the Greek, is that we are supposed to have this give us an idea that our words have the potential to set fires habitually and continually. And when we start a fire with our tongue, we are, by nature of that act, passing out of our own power and being consumed by it ourselves. So the damage done by our words to others will always damage us as well. And in that moment, when we use our words in that way, we are giving up our self-control and being ruled by our sin nature in that moment. So using your words toward anything not in line with the heart of God does not just cause outward damage, but it causes your own destruction. In that moment, you are not acting in the image of God as you were designed to, but in that moment, you are being ruled by sin, by darkness, and by death. Next, we see in verses 7 through 8, just in case we haven't gotten the picture yet, James layers on another example. And this time, he kind of uses this whole comparison with animals that have been tamed, and yet the tongue has not been. This particular portion would have been quite degrading to his audience because the Jewish writers only used comparisons with people and animals and the elements when they had the intent to dehumanize their audience because they are describing behaviors that are less than human. I think where our words can be most unleashed in this area has to do with those that we are in opposition to. 
How do you speak to or about those on the other end of the political spectrum? How do you speak to or about those who are living lifestyles you don't agree with? What words are you saying to or about those who have hurt you? Or those that you've kind of been rallied against for some reason? What you communicate to those in your community or your family that you are for whatever reason at odds with right now? Disclaimer in this, though, before we move on in this portion, this does not mean we don't speak truth to one another that sometimes may hurt someone. But we only speak the truth in love, as Paul says to the church in Ephesus. So there may be times, right, when because you're speaking truth in love, that that truth coming out may cause someone to have a level of pain or struggle that they have to deal with. But your responsibility in that is that you must be motivated out of your love for them and a desire for them to have healing and restoration. And the way you say it matters just as much. If you deliver it in a way that's not loving, you are still not wielding God's words well. And on the flip side with this too, there are instances when we may be hurting over something someone said to us or how they said it to us, and we're directing all that hurt toward them, but they did speak it to us in love. And you may actually be hurting not from the words or that person, but the truth that you were given to have to deal with. And I'm bringing this up because this is an area of discernment, and I don't want us to um, jump on this so much that we're unwilling to speak truth out of a motivation of love to one another. Sometimes the truth hurts to hear. Sometimes it hurts to have to deliver it. But we do have to evaluate our motivation in that, our delivery in that, how we handle that in community. So if you're really struggling with something someone said to you, honestly evaluate. Am I hurting because of them? They're the way that they did it. Or is the problem that that truth is not something I want to deal with? Take care to not deflect what the Spirit is impressing upon you through your community and pointing out that you need to act on to find your own healing and restoration. We always speak the truth, only from and in love. But when we're not using those words, to get back to what James says here, when we're not using those words in a way that measures up to what God has meant for us as image bearers, you are dehumanizing yourself and others in that moment. Basically, what he's saying here to them, you're acting like an animal, which is harsh. But that's how serious misusing our words is. You are not living up to your full potential as an image bearer of God when your tongue is unleashed. It's a deadly poison. This phrase in the Greek is literally death-bearing. This image is our tongue acting without restraint. It bears death. It causes active decay. And it's dehumanizing to you and those around you. Verse 9, he says, With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? 
neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. So the Greek term for cursing here in verse nine is katara. It's causing injury or harm from a statement. So it's not just saying a bad word. It is anytime you speak with words that hurt, with the intent to hurt, you are cursing. Anytime you speak unintentional words that cut someone, you're cursing. Anytime you speak in a way that is unfair or vile or just telling it like it is, I'm a straight shooter, whatever you fancy about yourself so you can get away with saying some crass things, you're cursing. Anytime you say something that damages, anytime you use words to build up yourself over others, you're cursing. And you're not just cursing that person or those people, but you're cursing God because they are made in his image as we see here. In their context, it was believed that statements had supernatural power. And I feel like it would do us well as a church to recapture that idea because our words do always have supernatural power. It should not be, he says, in one moment, we're using like a deadly poison to speak. We're being unkind, destructive, cutting, and harsh, and then we turn and bless. We try to offer words of life. It is an offense for us to try to play both sides. It is not to be, he says, that from the same source come death and life, and your words are always death or life. Your words are always blessing or cursing. Your words have supernatural power one way or the other. You have never spoken a neutral word in your entire life. Every word you have ever spoken and will speak goes in a direction, either ultimately to be a weapon or to bring healing. Every time you open your mouth, your words are headed somewhere. They're building up or they're tearing down. They're encouraging or they're destroying. It's either moving people away from Jesus or toward him. So don't kind of fool yourself that you can play a middle here because he's saying a middle doesn't exist. It's one or the other. Proverbs 18.21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. Death and life are in the power of the words you speak. Every word produces fruit and it's either death or it's life. So this week, what fruit has your tongue produced? Who was impacted by your fruit? What fruit did your tongue produce in the mundane moments of your life? What direction did your words have in your home? In the interactions with those closest to you, to your family, friends, or coworkers? What direction did your words have toward or about those you are struggling with the most right now? Because in those spaces to those people, your words in your daily life or your words to those you're struggling with are going to show your true heart condition. And the condition of your heart is vital here because what comes out of your mouth starts there. Jesus said, out of the abundance, the heart, the mouth speaks. So your problem with the direction of your words and what you put into the world 
is not at the end of the day, a tongue problem. Word problems are always heart problems. No good tree bears bad fruit. So the problems you have with controlling your tongue, that means it's not from who or what is around you. Your word problems are not external. Your word problems are always internal. It's a problem that comes from inside of you. And what you speak to the most familiar and what you speak to where you have the greatest challenge proves what is inside of you. What would you feel if every word you said in this last month had been recorded and everyone gets to listen in? What would they hear is the true condition of your heart based on the direction of your words, especially when they listen in when you talk to those closest to you? What would they think about who God is and what he's like? Would they anticipate if they didn't know you that this is going to be someone who will really bear life and blessing to me? What it means to love others authentically like Jesus is best tested with your tongue in your own home and where you're struggling. And if you can't bear the fruit of life and blessing with your tongue there, what makes you think that you're going to be able to bear authentic, Jesus-saturated life and blessing through your tongue to those you don't know? So we can't fool ourselves here. We really should assess and be real and honest. Be real and honest with Jesus and maybe even those you need to go to in repentance. And if you're thinking, there's really no one my words have ever caused harm to, you're lying to yourself. This is where it is our responsibility as believers to, armed with the Spirit, move toward the work of repair and healing as we deal with the fruit that has been wrought from our tongues. Because while our words play out in the mundane things of life, our words are never mundane. They are weighty. They are important. They have and they hold a lot of power. This is why some of the most devastating and painful things that have happened to a lot of us have to do with words spoken to us, about us, or over us. I know I can't be alone in that. But that also means it's why some of the greatest damage done in the world as a whole has been fueled first by speech and rhetoric. It's why some of the greatest damage we have done and caused has to do with what we've said. Words hold power. They reflect the condition of our hearts and repentance and restoration is calling for us here. As we move toward the end of our time together today, what I kind of wanted to end on is us talking about why is it that words actually do hold so much power? Why is it that their impact is so great and that we have to take care with how we wield them? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And when the earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the surface of the watery depths, the Spirit of God hovered over the surface of those waters. And God said, God spoke, let there be. And God's words went out with power and became physical things. God's word became light and sky and trees and rivers and flowers and birds. 
we exist in a physical and spiritual space that was formed by words. Words that held so much power that as they came out from the creator, they became tangible things. The very first words uttered in all of time were by God. It's how he created, it's how he introduced himself to his creation. So words hold so much power because they come from God. Words hold so much power because they belong to God. And when he formed us as his image bearers, one of the things he gave us was words. The use we have from our tongue is from him. It's a way that we are actually designed to image him. We talk and use words because we're like God. Therefore, words, because of that origin and that purpose, words are holy. This is why when our words are in alignment with God and his created purpose for us, that they are incredibly powerful in bearing forth life and healing and hope and love. In giving us words from him, God is imparting us with an incredible power. It really is such a privilege that we get to live up to our created purpose by wielding God's words the way he created us too. God has really prepared us well to do work in this space by giving us his words. But on the flip side, we well know that because that power is so great and the purpose so grand that when sin affected words, it armed itself with the deadliest of weapons. Our tongue is a deadly poison and a restless evil because of sin, not because God created it that way. And the way our words have impacted others, the damage done by others' words to us is something that we will always carry while we are in this world. But we need to not lose heart and we need to keep perspective here. Because children of God, his purpose in giving us words is for life, for light, for being like him. It's a way that we're like our father. Words are an ability and a trait that God passed down to his children for good. And this is a, a part of you. And because of Jesus's work on the cross and the indwelling spirit, we right now can be in the process of having our ability to use our words in this way redeemed. God wants to be making right in us right now the way we use our tongue. Part of that for those of us in him is that we examine ourselves. We consider as a child of God, how have I been using this ability from him? Have I been creating life or death? Have I been building up or tearing down? Have I been moving people toward Jesus or away from him? Are the words in my home and with my family bringing healing or bringing sickness? What fruit is the power of your tongue reaping? Who right now might be thinking of words you said that have caused them damage? In us examining the use of our tongue is vital because when we are aligning and orienting our words with the purposes of our creator, that is a 
deadly affront to sin, the enemy, and the decay and the darkness. So by doing the work to tame the tongue, you're not just trying to become a better person. You are ushering in redemption and renewal. For your words don't belong to you, but to God. So let us not waste time. Let's strive to gain control over our tongue because that's how much is at stake. And so much life and good is meant to be done in the spaces around you as a child of God. In closing, let's hear a word to the church from 1 Peter 3 and consider our words. Be like-minded and sympathetic. Love one another. Be compassionate and humble. Not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult. But on the contrary, give a blessing. Since you were called for this, give a blessing since you were called for this so that you inherit a blessing. For the one who wants to love life and see good days, let them keep their tongue from evil and their lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do what is good. Seek peace and pursue it because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to our prayers. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for really the gift and privilege it is that you bestowed words upon your children. But Father, we know there is so much we all probably need to confess in terms of how we have misused our words, are misusing our words. So Father, I ask that you would reveal those spaces to us so that you can usher us towards being agents of redemption and renewal and repair by seeking healing from the damage done there. But Father, I do also ask for the ways that we need healing from the words spoken to us, about us, and over us, words that are of death, words that are not true. Father, I pray that in those spaces where we might not be able to ever resolve there, that you would be a comfort and that where we are believing the lies spoken to us, that instead we would be replacing it with your truth. So Spirit, do the work in giving us your truth. For while those words have power, your power is still greater. So I ask for those of us that need that, that you would be real to us in that way. And Father, I do just in particular pray over our community that the words that we speak to, about, and over one another would be with the intent to bear life and healing and hope and love and repair. Maybe we be wise with the use of our words together as we practice using our words well together so that the words we speak outside of this space would be pushing people more toward you and not away. Father, we thank you for your, your grace that while this is still a space that will always be so much struggle, that there is hope that you are faithful. May our words be holy before you, not so that we look good, but so that you do. 
We love you and in your name we pray. Amen. Now hear the benediction. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or imagine. To him be glory both in the church and in Christ Jesus, now and forever. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, Thanks for listening to this message from Icon Community Church. Please visit us online at iconcommunitychurch.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.